Hi, this is the Cancer Liberation Project podcast. If you've been touched by cancer and have some fear around remaining healthy, you are in the right place. As a 20-year-plus cancer survivor, Haley knows how unsettling it can be to not only hear the words, you have cancer, but also the uncertainty and fear that comes when you have been declared cancer-free. The Cancer Liberation Project was born out of Haley's desire to make cancer less scary for people, to give people hope that they can not only heal from cancer, but live their best, most vibrant life after cancer. Get ready to be inspired with your host, Haley Dubin. Hi, and welcome to the Cancer Liberation Project. Today, I sit down with Brady Lucas. Brady is an author, philanthropist, and relationship builder. Brady recently released his first book titled Smiley Smile. His inspiration to become an author and write the book came from his experience undergoing treatment for two childhood cancer diagnoses and finding power within education. Brady believes all children should have access to information that can empower them to understand and be involved regardless of their age within their healthcare journey. I look forward to sharing my conversation with Brady, but before I do, just a couple things to mention. First, a reminder to head over to my website at revivewellness.com to get your free seven top tips to keep cancer away and feel confident in your body again. That's R-E-V-I-V-E wellness.com. And second, I want to take a moment to thank the Carl Felt Center, who makes the show possible. Welcome, Brady. I'm so looking forward to our conversation. I'm so excited to talk to you, Haley, and so, to, so excited to be on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Well, it's my pleasure. And just to give you all a little backstory, Brady and I met because we're both training under Dr. Nisha Winters to become a metabolic terrain advocate. So if you don't know about Dr. Nisha's work, I highly recommend you check out the podcast I did with her April of 22. So now on to Brady. You know, you really went through a lot as a child, and I just would love you to share your story with everybody. Yeah, thank you so much for asking, Haley. Uh, it's great to hear everyone, and I hope everybody listening enjoys the podcast today. My name is Brady Lucas. I'm 26 years of age, and I am a two-time cancer thriver of childhood cancer. I was originally diagnosed with acute lymphoblastic leukemia, which they say is the better cancer if you're going to get one as a child. In April of 2005, I went through about three and a half years of treatment from April of 2005 to July of 2008, consisting of chemotherapy, steroids, other medications, really trying to rebuild my immune system after when I was diagnosed originally, my white blood cell count was 91,000. And normal white blood cell count is anywhere from four and a half to 10,000. So when I was diagnosed right away, they knew there was a problem. And at the time of the diagnosis, there was about an 85% chance that I would be cured of the disease post five years and be fine, live my life, have some long-term side effects as many childhood cancer survivors do, but for the most part, be fine. 
What happened to me next, about two years later, in September of 2010, the cancer unfortunately returned. And I was fortunate from the standpoint that the cancer was the same cancer. I was diagnosed with acute lymphoblastic leukemia for the second time on September 20th of 2010. And at the time was the only individual in the country to have the type of relapse so far after I was done treatment, have liver complications. My liver has liver fibrosis on a scale of four, about a two, as well as have uh, enlarged spleen, esophageal varices, portal hypertension, the list goes on and on and on. And what they really wanted to do is ensure that I would make it through the treatment. It wasn't let's cure the cancer and you need a liver transplant or to take out your spleen or any other gamut of other things. They wanted to ensure that I had a long, healthy life if I were to make it. And for us, our family, the doctors, the nurses, I don't think we really had a doubt that I wouldn't make it. We had positive mindset throughout the entire time. There was one time in December of 2010 where I did think, well, what happens if this is the last Christmas that I have? Or what happens if the treatments don't go well? I was scheduled to have my bone marrow transplant in February of 2011. Fortunately, my younger brother, Sean, was not only a match, but a perfect match for a bone marrow transplant. So on February 2nd of 2011, I had a bone marrow transplant, went in four days before, or five days before, had four days straight of very heavy dose chemotherapy to get my body essentially down to nothing, a shell of a body essentially, had one day of rest and then the transplant day. And at the transplant day, I was very medicated because I was in so much pain, had all these other things. The difference though for a bone marrow transplant is it's just like a blood transfusion. It's not much more than that. They do the blood transfusion. And the goal is to reset your immune system to be healthy again. My younger brother is a healthy individual. I was not a healthy individual. So it was to reboot the immune system. And fortunately for me, uh, the transplant worked after doing an additional donor lymphocyte infusion. The donor lymphocyte infusion was a set of stem cells from my little brother. We boosted it. Now my body's 95% my younger brother's cells and or over 95% my younger brother's cells. So I have a healthy immune system now. Fast forward a little bit. I Like I said, I am 26 years old now and continue to give back and continue to try to optimize my health as much as I can. Oh, that's so amazing. I wanted to ask you, what were your symptoms? I mean, I know you were so young. Were you eight when you first were diagnosed? Yeah, I was eight originally. Okay. And and what were some of your symptoms that you even got this checked out? Yeah. So the original symptoms started for me were headaches mainly to the point of I would go to school and have to come home because I had such piercing headaches that weren't normal for a third grader at the time. Also had, at the time, looking back, a lot of paleness. My family saw paleness, had some nosebleeds, bruising abnormally, and my energy level was off. I've always been a very positive, happy, energetic individual, even as a child. And when I was originally diagnosed, that kind of went away. And we went to the doctors probably five or six times before finally going to an ear, nose, and throat doctor. 
And the ear, nose, and throat doctor originally said, let's do a complete blood count, see if you have mono. And it was very rare at the time. I think the ENT knew that something bigger was wrong. But yeah, because kids don't get mono typically when they're so young. It's typically a, a disease that individuals get when they're older, in college, in high school, whatever it may be. So she, I think she knew something was up right away. And then from there, we did the complete blood count, was diagnosed. And the next day was in Hershey, Pennsylvania, starting my chemotherapy regimen. Mm. You know, you went through so much as a child. And I just wanted to know, did it make you grow up faster and, and change your perspective about life? 100%. I would say from... All I know is really what it's like to have, be post-cancer. And I know psychologically and in a lot of psychological terms, when you have a trauma in life, sometimes it's hard to remember what happened before that. And I would say that is very true with my situation. I remember some of my childhood up to eight years old before my diagnosis in April of 2005. But I would say for the most part, it's pretty foggy. And my life now has been what is it like to be a cancer survivor or a cancer patient or a cancer thriver. And what I think it did allow me to do is find relationships in life more meaningful, find time in life more meaningful to the point of time is the biggest currency that we have. And I would say from my perspective, not a lot of individuals that are young adults think that way. They look the long-term outcome. I'm going to live to 80 or 90 years old. I can do whatever I want now. But for me, it's how do you soak in every moment of life and really embrace the relationships that you have, use your time to the best of your advantage, but also find those people in the world that are making a difference to make sure they shine. Mm, that's just amazing, Brady. I mean, I think about my kids who one, my one son's 27 years old and my other one's 24, two boys. And yeah, my 27-year-old just having a good old time, you know, and I keep saying, slow down, take care of yourself, you know, but they think they're invincible. So it does, it changes your, your whole outlook. Um, and, you know, it's not, you don't want to go through that to change that outlook, of course, but there's, there's are so many positives, like the positive impact you're making and, and all these amazing relationships that you have. Yeah, definitely. And I would say for me, it's really, how do I use something in life to turn it around to make it a positive? And I try to do that with every situation that I go through in life, whether it's a big thing or whether it's a small thing, because I truly believe everything happens for a reason. And whether at the time that reason is known or at the time we want to hear what the reason may be long term, I think deep down there is a reason. Yes, I couldn't agree with you more. I was 29, about to turn 30. So yeah, I was older than you, but just can relate to so much about, about what you're saying. And you help produce a podcast called Life on Pause, which is by and for young adult cancer survivors. And I think it is just such a good idea because as a young person, you're going through so much and you often feel like you have no one to talk to. I mean, there's a lot of older people that are going through cancer, right? But you you don't often know a lot of young people. So I'd love you just to tell me a little bit about that. And, and, and were you one of the founders of it? Life on Pause came from the idea that 
young adult population, depending who you talk to, is defined 15 to 39, 20 to 39. There's people that are diagnosed with this disease and cancer we think of as either an older person disease or a real young child disease. It's not the teenagers or the young adults, the individuals going to college. So where Life on Pause came from really was that mindset of, well, what happens if you're just graduating college? Or what happens if you've been in the workforce for 10 years and now you're diagnosed with cancer? And we wanted to break down some of the common stereotypes or common perceptions from the community, but also allow every individual to have that opportunity to vent with each other, have that opportunity to connect with other cancer survivors or cancer patients that have lived long and now are entering that young adult phase. And the other aspect is how do we give doctors, nurses, other care providers a resource coming directly from the patients on how their experiences are. We have a lot of care providers that will listen to the podcast and gain a lot of insight on what happens during the podcast and a cancer journey directly from the patient. So I was an early adapter, I would say, to the podcast. I didn't originally start it, but I did start very soon after because what ended up happening for me was we have a lot of individuals that are diagnosed at that young adult, teenager age of things. For me, it was, I was diagnosed at a very young age. I relapsed at the teenage age. So saw two completely different sides of treatment. And now as a 26 year old at the time was around 22, 23, I was experiencing all these long-term effects that were coming with being off treatment for 10 to 15 years physical, emotional, psychological, spiritual, everything that comes with a cancer diagnosis. And I was trying to bring awareness from that standpoint too, that we're all bonding, we're all the same age, although we have different cancer journeys and different diagnoses, a lot of the things that we're going through are similar long-term. And Life on Pause is just that. It's bringing individuals together from Penn State Health Children's Hospital and other institutions even at this point, as well as Penn State Cancer Institute for the adult-treated patients. And we talk about common things that come up during a cancer journey, whether it be the loss of hair, whether it be what is it like to date post-cancer? How do you share your cancer journey with a spouse? Do you have to disclose early on if you're gonna be able to have kids or not with a spouse or someone all these common things that are very taboo to think about in our society that we try to bring to surface. And Life on Pause is available on Spotify. It's available online on the website. It's also available, I believe, on Apple Podcasts. And I would highly suggest anybody that's interested in learning more directly from the patient to take a look into it. Yes, I'm so glad you mentioned that. I listened to a little bit of it and could relate to so much of it. And I think it could help so many people. And I'm sure a lot of people don't know about it. So thank you for, for explaining that and going into that. Uh, you mentioned that you did have long-term side effects. So I just wanted to know, like, what are some of the side effects that you have had physically? Yeah, of course. So one of the biggest ones for me during my treatment is the medications. We don't know exactly what medication, so we can't 
deduct it to one, probably the uh, accumulation of many, are liver fibrosis. My liver functions at the normal rate as someone else, but what that means is can I drink alcohol, have to be very careful about toxifying my liver any more than it should be. The other thing running into that is portal hypertension. And then in addition to that is an enlarged spleen. My spleen is about nine centimeters too big at this point. I had to stop playing contact sports in high school. Don't have to be very careful from the standpoint of we can't allow me to get hit in the spleen because if it would rupture, could cause some long-term problems from that standpoint. And then the other thing mainly is the esophageal varices. And with all of this, I'm on a blood pressure medication. My blood pressure is normal, but we have to keep it even lower. So I'm on a blood pressure medication to keep the side effects lower. I would also say a lot of the physical long-term side effects that I'm realizing now are things like being careful with my ankles. Both my ankle bones collapsed or bones in both of my ankles collapsed during my first round of treatment. So I had to teach myself how to walk again, had to go through six months of physical therapy. I have days where I wake up and it's raining outside and I can tell the difference and the pressures and things along those lines. I would also say working now and being able to understand my body more, seeing some of these long-term side effects from like muscle tension in my head, neck, and back. Also realizing and doing more research in the long-term effects of how do treatments affect your sinuses? How do treatments affect other cartilage or muscles or bones in your body? So I think being more careful is a big thing that I've learned through this. But the big thing with long-term side effects is it's physical, it's emotional, it's psychological, and it's mental. That's so true. I mean, the emotional aspect is just huge. And it's it, it almost, there's like a delayed response. I know with me, that's what it was. It's like you go through all this and you're just burying your head, doing it. And then all of a sudden you're finished. And it's like, oh my God, look what just happened to me. And you know, you went through twice in a bone marrow transplant. And, and I know you're in the hospital for a long time secluded when you have a bone marrow transplant, right? Yeah. So I was in the hospital for 17 days post bone marrow transplant and then five or six days before. So I think it ended up being 23 or 24 days straight. And I was one of the individuals that was there for the shorter period of time because I didn't get radiation, but they told us originally four to six weeks that you'd be in the hospital. Okay. The tumor is only a symptom of cancer, not the cause. Hello, I'm Dr. Michael Carlfeld. I'm the owner of the Carlfeld Center in Meridian, Idaho. We specialize in cutting edge integrative oncology care, addressing the cause and not just the symptom of cancer. There are 11 factors you need to address when diagnosed with cancer. To learn more of what they are, get my free ebook when you visit thecarfulcenter.com. Along with the ebook, I will email you a free webinar series where world-renowned specialists will tell you what you need to do to address these 11 factors. You'll hear from experts like Jane McLellan, Dr. Paul Anderson, Dr. Neil McKinney, Dr. William Lee, Dr. Nasha Winters, and Dr. Isaac Elias. Don't miss out on this life-saving information. I also offer a free 15-minute cancer consult where we can go over where you are at in your cancer journey and how the cutting-edge therapies we offer can benefit you. Give the Carful Center call at 208-338-8902 
or visit our website at thecarlfieldcenter.com. So, you know, I know as a mother, it had to be so hard. Well, obviously as a parent, it's so hard to see your child go through this. How did your mom handle all this with you? And did it bring you closer? Yeah, definitely. My mom and I still talk every day. We text or call, have a very close relationship with each other. And the big thing I think it allowed us to do was find laughter and everything, find a joy in the darkest moments. And I say that with my dad and stepdad and other family members as well. When you're dealt with a life-threatening illness for anyone, whether the parents seeing their child go through it or the child's going through it, the parents have to go through so much. And I think that's part of my mission to this day is how do we ensure that parents are getting the recognition that they deserve? And at some of the times for the kids, the kids don't even realize what's going on or all the sacrifices that parents are going through, whether it's parents taking off work for extended times or driving back and forth to the hospital, sitting in hospital waiting rooms for hours, the stress that it causes them as their kids undergoing a surgery or sedation or anything along those lines. And I just have the most respect for parents that stick through their kids throughout this, whether it's a young child, whether it's an older child and caregivers in general, because they often have a harder experience than the patient. And I say that because for me, at least the way I perceive it is I could respond the way I responded to all my treatments. They could respond the way they could, but oftentimes moms want to do whatever they can to make their kids better. And in these cases, there's nothing they can often do. And I think that's one of the hardest things for especially moms to grasp is I can't do anything to make my kid feel better. Where do I go from here? Right. That is such a good point. You just want to fix everything. You want to make it better. And so you said the second time you were a freshman in college, I mean, I'm sorry, high school, right? Yep. How was it going back to school after you were finished with everything? Was it hard to get back in the swing of things or did were your friends just, I mean, I'm sure your friends were really supportive, but sometimes you just don't relate to them the same way. Like they're worried about all the little things and you're like, okay, I just went through this huge thing. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, my friends were such a big part of my journey. Fortunately, I had a very strong group of friends. A lot of them were groomsmen in my wedding recently. I think for me though, the hard part was when I went back on steroids after being off of treatment, I had my bone marrow transplant. I was in the clear, got this thing called graft versus host disease, which, and what it is, is usually the body has to accept the organ. In this case, the organ being the bone marrow has to accept the body. Bone marrow realizes I'm in the wrong place because it's supposed to be my younger brother, starts attacking all the suppressed organs or areas of your body. I had liver problems, my ALT and AST skyrocketed, skin problems, various other chronic graft versus host disease complications. 
the only way to treat it is steroids, very heavy dose and other things. For me, when I went back to school, I had the moon face. I didn't look like Brady when I went to school before, looked completely different. And the self-image piece for me was so hard. I would say walking into school, there was days when I woke up and I didn't even realize who I was. Like I looked in the mirror and it didn't look like the typical Brady I was looking at. If I look back in pictures now from my sophomore year of college, even my junior or sophomore year of high school, even my junior year of high school, some people are like, that doesn't even look like you. And that was the hardest part for me because everybody still treated me like the individual I was, but on the outside, they were seeing someone different. Yeah. Yeah. That's very tough. And I mean, you were a freshman. That's like one of the toughest years, right? You know, when you're trying to impress everyone and and fit in and that whole thing. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it was it was an interesting time. Fortunately, I had an older brother that was two years older than me, and we were very close. That helped a ton, having friends that were juniors, seniors, and also my own grade and the grade above. But deep down, it was, wasn't easy at all. And you went to college, and I was curious, what was it like for you? Like, I know you're very into your health right now and, you know, focusing on nutrition and, and some other things that we'll talk about, but what was college like for you? Did you just let loose or what was it like for you? College was definitely very interesting. And I think in college, I had a different mindset than I do now. It benefited me at the time. And it was how I had some incredible experiences, met the most amazing people got good grades, got my degree, but it wasn't sustainable long-term. And I learned that the hard way very quickly. In college, for me, it was sleeping four or five hours a night, being involved in various extracurricular activities, seeing my friends all the time, studying till all hours of the night, drinking cups of coffee at midnight or 9 p.m. It wasn't healthy at all. It was, I went through all this stuff. Let me go have fun now. I didn't drink alcohol. So that wasn't a problem for me. In the situation, I recognized that I didn't want to die. I, I wanted to live and I wanted to be able to function fully in the future. But I definitely lost out on a lot of sleep, lost out on some of the other health related things at times when high stress would come. I'd do more instead of sitting back and taking some breaths and allowing myself to kick back and do that. But I will say, looking back, I wouldn't change a single thing because it really got me to wanting to focus on my health long term. Mm, that's great. I mean, you sounded like a typical college student. That's for sure. So Yeah. And I think for me, it was how do I get some normalcy when my life has been everything but normal? Exactly. And so what was that knock on the door to say, okay, I now need to take control of my health? It didn't really happen until right before COVID. And I was the type of individual that I realized now the way I coped with stress was doing more instead of pausing and focusing on myself. What ended up happening for me in October of 
2019, right before COVID hit, I was training for a half marathon. I was commuting an hour both ways to work every day. I was a part-time grad student, was doing two classes a semester. My now wife and I were doing distance, so I was driving back and forth to Virginia probably once every three or four weeks, and I hit a breaking point. I woke up one Saturday morning and was completely worn out, completely tired, and found myself in the emergency room in York County. And what the emergency room doctor said, your blood counts are fine, but you need to slow down. You're not going to be able to do this all the time anymore. You need to sleep. You need to make sure you're eating right and everything along those lines. And I said, all right, whatever. I'll, I'll keep doing what I'm doing. And then what it ended up happening from there is I had all these head, neck, shoulder, back problems where I felt fullness in my ears. My upper body was so stiff all the time. And I had to go to an ear, nose, and throat doctor and then had to go to a neurologist and get CT scans and MRIs and all of these various things that took a time for me to stop, reflect, and say, is this really what I want to be doing forever? And the answer was obviously no. In perfect timing, I started a mindfulness-based stress reduction class, went through an eight-week course there. The course concluded the week after the pandemic hit and everybody got sent home. And from there, it was, how do I reset my life, essentially? How do I look at what I was going through? And I would say for the first year of COVID, I did a lot of the same stuff I was doing. I focused on exercising all the time, working out six or seven days a week, lifting weights a lot, not worrying about the inflammation, eating the calories that I needed to eat, but not necessarily worrying about the nutrients or carbohydrates or fats or protein balances. And I got to July of 2020. I remember looking at myself in the mirror. I was the heaviest weight I ever, ever had been. I realized I can't keep doing this again. This is actually the time I need to stop. So from there, ended up starting to go to the chiropractor. At the time, went on a very like vegetarian, vegan diet. Because for me, it was how do I reduce the calories that I'm consuming, start portion control. I'm the type of person that if I sit down and it's there, I'm going to eat it. And for me, it was how do you size these portions a lot better. Ended up within the first month of dieting, losing about 30 pounds. And from there, the weight was gone, but the mental clarity still wasn't there. And a lot of the physical effects still weren't there. I was going to the chiropractor a good bit to readjust my spine that when doing x-rays, we realized completely out of whack was so bad and got to the point where April of 2021 came and I realized there's no way I do any of this unless I address my psychological needs. Was getting ready to propose to my now wife and realized if I want to be the best husband, best individual, I need to address a lot of these traumas that are deep down in me and be able to reflect on why I do certain things. 
started to see a psychologist once a week. And now I still see him every other week. And I would say that moment really changed the course of my life completely. It was understanding why I had so much problems with commitment, why I had so much problems with looking ahead, why I felt like I had to live for 10 people because I had survivor's guilt of me living and friends not having the chance to live. And for me, it was once I addressed those mental things, I could focus on everything else. It also was a time when I started focusing on my spiritual health a lot more, watching church, praying, digging deep into scripture, finding other alternatives to look into why are we here on this earth? Why does everything matter? And from there, I started to look into a lot of these extra things. And along the same time, too, I met Dr. Nasha and started to learn more about cancer prevention and what is it like to focus on childhood cancer prevention. The main thing in childhood cancer world is eight and a half to 10% come from genetics. The rest of the 90% is bad luck. I'm realizing for me, it's not bad luck. My mom grew up five miles from Three Mile Island. She was in puberty during the time when it erupted and a woman's born with the amount of eggs that they're going to have in their life. So how could what she experienced from the environment not impacted her offspring and myself, as well as where I grew up is a very urban or not an urban area, very rural farming communities everywhere, small town feel, all these various other things that I'm recognizing. These actually cause so many long-term problems. And for me, it was how do I change the paradigm behind childhood cancer, but also change the paradigm behind cancer prevention in general? We invest so much money in drug discovery, which is needed. But if we invested the same amount of money in drug discovery as we do prevention, we wouldn't have cancer at all, in my opinion, at least. And I started to look at a lot of those alternative things. And how do I look into things along the lines acupuncture and diet, exercise, lowering the inflammation of my body. And I would say that flip of the switch happened in February of 2023. So fairly recent that I realized I need to change a lot of what I think is health and how I'm perceiving health and changing a lot of the diet, changing my exercise routine to focus more on Let's go for a walk instead of having to lift weights today, or let's go on a hike, or let's do yoga, stretching, acupuncture, various other things that we can heal our bodies naturally. And that's where my journey continues today. That's incredible. And, you know, it sounds like you were open to things. And I think sometimes it takes time. I mean, people go through what they go through and it's not necessarily like, okay, I got to make changes. I got to look at my life, but you have been doing it step by step. And I think that's so important for people to hear because it doesn't happen overnight. These changes don't happen overnight, but your story is so inspirational. And, you know, I, I just want to, before we get into random round, I believe that these bumps in the road 
are really here to make us learn and grow. And I just wanted to hear, like, what did you learn about yourself? I mean, I know you said, you know, relationships are so important, but I was curious what you learned about yourself. What I learned about myself is how to look at who I am as an individual and love myself, love all those around you, find joy in every moment, and also how to reflect all of your emotions. One of the things that I struggled with a ton during my treatment and up until a couple years ago, I brand myself on Smiles Make the World Go Round, very positive, uplifting person. And I never let myself show negative emotion out loud, whether it be social media, out in crowds. And what would happen is I would bubble up to the point of the littlest thing would set me off that shouldn't have set me off at all if I were just to address my emotions. And the importance of that mental health aspect overall was a critical piece for me. I would also say the time piece is very critical. Things that are great in life don't happen overnight. There's miracles, but at the end of the day, we need to invest time and resources and energy to get to optimal health. And I also realized it's never too late to make a change. That's the big thing for anyone that's listening to this. You can be my age, 26, you can be 50, you can be 75, you can be 95. You can make a change at any point in your life to make it better. And that's something I think I will cherish forever. Ah, oh, that's just beautiful. I almost forgot to talk about Smiley Smile. I mean, that's so important. Um, so can you tell me why you decided to write the book and what what it's about? I know what it's about. I read it. It's, I just thought it was great and such a great way to explain to children what is going on when someone gets diagnosed with cancer. But if you could talk a little bit about it. Yeah, of course. Smiley Smile was always a dream of mine, probably since high school to write a book. And for me, it was also an opportunity to reflect on a lot of what I'd went through and put it into words for others to empathize, but also others to connect on a deeper level. Often we find individuals that go through hardship together, find a stronger bond at the end of it. Smiley Smile, what it is, is a picture book written for children about Smiley, the main character who is a turtle, and Smiley's friends, Rocky, who's a giraffe, and Ollie, who is a dog. And it's their journey of playing sport, but then Smiley is diagnosed with cancer. And the big thing that I like to hit home in this is three themes, support, courage, and friendship. Support being that the friends are so important, as well as the community, parents, doctors, nurses, within anything in life, whether it be cancer, another chronic illness, or any hardship. The second thing being the courage aspect. And I look at courage from the standpoint of it's okay to ask for help. It's okay to say I'm not okay. It's okay to be courageous to express all of your emotions. The third thing being friendship. And this is the thing that I try to hit home all the time. Friends in a cancer diagnosis are everything. 
There's friends that are with you through it all. There's friends that you're best friends with that leave and unfortunately leave your life for the good or for the better. And for me, it was how do you ensure that friends stick around, but also friends aren't aren't worried. Friends know that they can't catch cancer from their friend. Friends don't have to worry about some of the other things that are going on. And that empowerment piece for all kids, regardless of age, is the important part of the book. Smiley eventually goes through treatment, loses his shell to signify loss of hair, gets special honey, which is to signify chemotherapy, gets access via his Metaport, self-explanatory that individuals have Metaports during their treatment diagnosis. But what I also wanted to do was make sure that these terms were used and a parent could sit down with either their child who is the patient or the sibling, a friend, someone that just wants to teach their kids about cancer because it's a very common thing in our society now. And they can see directly what is going on. It's not a hypothetical, this is what they're going through, but this is actually what they're going through. In the end, Smiley is able to go back and join his friends playing their favorite game, Honeyball. They win the championship. And we leave the book at a point where there's still so much more to happen. And I left that on purpose because I realized not all cancer diagnoses or journey are the same. Some individuals relapse like myself. Some individuals get cured and they're fine for the rest of their lives. Some individuals don't unfortunately make it. They pass away from cancer or a long-term side effect. And what I really want individuals to do is be able to reflect that entire time during the cancer diagnosis, but feel that empowerment piece. Because for me, knowing what was happening during my treatment, my parents never kept me in the dark. My doctors or nurses never kept me in the dark from the second I was diagnosed at eight till where I am now. And I always wanted to be very actively involved in my cancer care and treatment because for that, it gave me some sense of control when everything was not in control. So what I hope through the book is to start those dialogue conversations, give parents, give community members, give grandparents, maybe a grandparents diagnosed with cancer. They're trying to explain to a young kid what they're going through. And that's the big thing is understanding education and empowerment. Yes. And I think it's a perfect book to bring to cancer centers and to just obviously as as gifts to adults and children. Uh, It's positive. the, The illustrations just great. So I highly recommend it. Now, are you ready for Random Round? I think so. One last thing I do want to mention is if you're interested in the book, you can go to bradylucasauthor.com. On the website, there are various things that I've been posting, where I've been in the community, what different media activities I've been up to, as well as we're going to start some blogs in the future too from various stakeholders in the cancer community, but also individuals that are looking to empower through healthcare. And then the other thing we're available to purchase on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, as well as you can reach out directly to me. 
on the website or via social media, and I can get you a signed copy. Perfect. Fill in the blank. Freedom to you is? Finding joy in every moment. The last show you binged and loved? New Girl. When you're feeling afraid, what do you do? Pray. If you could have a one-hour discussion with someone past or present, who would it be and why? I have two. The first being Matthew McConaughey. The second being Chris Hemsworth. I love their life mottos and how they inspire others through being them, as well as I really look up to and appreciate how they live their life. What is your favorite go-to snack? Nut butter. What is one simple thing that brings you joy? Smiling. What is on your nightstand? A salt lamp and a glass of water. Impressive. (laughs) What's your favorite form of exercise? Golfing. What is one thing you're really grateful for in your life right now? My recent wedding, marrying the love of my life, and the release of Smiley Smile. Perfect. Well, Brady, thank you so much. This was such a pleasure. And I know people are just going to get so much out of listening to your story and your great insight. So thank you. Thank you, Haley. I really appreciate being on the podcast and look forward to hearing from some of the viewers in the future. That's it for today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe. Doing so will really help this podcast get noticed and will help us to inspire more people. And remember, the sky is the limit when you take your power back when it comes to your health.